0: Luke chapter number 16 tonight, and as you find your place there, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 19. The Word of God says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege of being in your house. And Father, we're leaning and trusting wholly upon you to accomplish the work that needs to be done tonight. Father, we're unable, and we confess that freely and openly before all men. It is not within us to accomplish the spiritual warfare and the spiritual ground that must be gained. But God, we do trust you and depend upon you to accomplish it Lord, we're not asking for a good sermon tonight. We're asking for a moving and working of the Spirit of God in our midst. And Lord, we'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, if there's any amongst us that are in need of Christ's salvation, Lord, that have never been born again, I pray that You'd show them that need. Lord, I'm not asking them to see that need. I'm praying that You would show them their great need, that of Calvary, before it's everlasting too late. Lord, we do love You tonight. And we do ask all these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as we come to Luke chapter number 16, it is probably a familiar passage of Scripture for most of those that are here tonight. But it is not lost upon me the horror and terror of what we read before us tonight. You know, I've read this passage hundreds of times. I've preached from it dozens of times. But every time I come to this chapter, still it startles my soul to consider what we have laid here before us. I've had some folks tell me this is just a parable, nothing more than a story given to illustrate or instruct in spiritual matters. But I'd have you to notice that the Lord never calls this a parable. Every time that the Lord Jesus spoke in parables, He always said He was speaking in parables. He was not dishonest in what He said. If He was telling a story to apply a truth, He'd say uh, that a, a parable was being told. He'd never give proper names to those in the story because there were no individuals that He was referencing. But in the story that we read here tonight, I'd have you notice that a proper name is given. He's not just telling a fable. He's not just telling an allegorical story. He is not just giving us a few truths that we are to absorb, but literally the Son of God in a miraculous way is pulling back the curtain of hell and allowing us for just a few brief moments and a few short verses to see what it is like for those that are there tonight. As we read the Word of God, we are keenly aware that hell is an eternal place. The book of Isaiah tells us that the smoke thereof of those that are tormented arises up forever and ever. And in case it was lost on you, in the verses that we read here tonight, Abraham made it clear that there's a great gulf fixed between those uh, that are in the abode of the damned and those that are in the abode of paradise. And none could pass from one place to the other, You see, what we're reading here tonight is the very same thing that we'd see if we could look into hell this evening. As an eternal place, this rich man is still there tonight. We do not know his name. The Scripture does not give us his name. Lazarus, the beggar, his name is given to us. And we assume, and I believe rightly so, we interpret that he was uh, a real individual and the rich man was as well. Some have asked, why would the Lord not give the rich man's name? Well, there's every reason to believe that there might have been some there. You know, there was only a few ways you were going to get rich in that type of culture, and one of them was to be a religious leader. You see, we have every reason to believe that there were people gathered here on this hillside on this day that might have known this man's name had it been mentioned. And to this very day, this man is still in hell. The same things that were true 2,000 years ago when the Lord uttered them are still true tonight. We have the authoritative Word of God upon that. If we believe John 3.16, then we ought to believe Luke chapter 16. The same Bible that teaches us about the blessings of an eternity in heaven also teaches us of the torments of an eternity in hell. If I believe in the cross of Calvary, then I must believe in the abode of the damned as well. And so I want us to notice a few things this evening from this passage. And I'm going to try to preach brief and quick and try to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost in what's said this evening. I want you to notice the finality of what's set before us. Uh, We're keenly aware as we read this that nothing changes for this rich man from chapter, or from verse number 19 to verse number 31. Despite all his greatest efforts, his condition is exactly the same. Uh, As I've already said, despite all of his greatest efforts, his condition's the same this evening. The same things that tormented him when this was pinned down are the same things that torment him this evening. And I want us to notice that the time for some things that ended in this man's life You know, there were some things that this man didn't care anything about before he died. But the moment that he died and lifted his eyes in hell, his priorities changed. You know, there's a lot of things we don't have time for in this world. Uh, You know, when you go and witness from door to door and when you share the gospel with people, one of the chief excuses that people give is they say, well, I just don't have time right now. I understand you have to be sensitive to needs. I mean, if somebody's cooking supper, you don't want to hang them up at their door for 45 minutes, although I'd say this, that it'd be a lot better for them if the roast burnt than if they died and went to hell. But, uh, you know, they always say, well, I don't have time. And time is one of those elusive things. We seem to always have the same amount of it in a day, but we never find enough time to do the things that matter. This rich man was the very same way. I believe that there were some warnings in his life. I believe that Lazarus had been a witness to this man. I do not know the extent of this man's religious teaching, but growing up in the time that he did, in the place that he did, no doubt in such a religious culture, he would have been warned about an eternity in hell. But still in the comfort and ease of his life, he procrastinated and put off that great and eternal decision. You know that every one of us has to make that decision. Every single one of us has to make a decision whether to accept or to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a 10-year-old boy, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Uh, It wasn't anything special that I did. It wasn't any great effort on my part. But my will was finally broken. I recognized that I was not enough, that my good works were not enough, that my theological system was flawed and broken and failing, and that only by leaning upon what Christ did at Calvary could I be born again. We're all faced with this decision. Some folks would say, Preacher, I don't ever want to have to make that decision. Well, you will have to make that decision. We all have to make that decision because we're all faced with death sooner or later. If you don't believe me, go down to the graveyards. You'll find that they're not, uh, they're not few and far between the gravestones that sit in them. Uh, as we drive on our way to church, we drive about 25 minutes every night and there's no telling how many graves that we pass. Eternal testimonies to the fact that death is ever marching towards the human being. The book of Hebrews says it's appointed unto man once to die. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, it means the same thing with death that it might mean with any other venue of life. If you have an appointment uh, with a doctor or an appointment maybe with a lawyer or an appointment uh, with a job interview, that means there's a set time designated, uh, written in stone, in which you must appear and you must be examined. The same thing is true concerning our eternal destiny. It's appointed unto man once to die, the Bible says, and after this the judgment. And when that appointment comes, there's no appeal and there's no postponement. There's Nothing You Can Do. It was said of John D. Rockefeller. And John Rockefeller was uh, really probably the richest man in American history when you really consider inflation and the scope and size of the economy uh, when he lived and uh, when, uh, you know, he created Standard Oil and things of that sort. It was said that when he came to the end of his life, he said he would pay any sum to anyone that could add a year to his life. You understand that at one time, John D. Rockefeller was 1% of the American economy. Stop and think about the magnitude of that. One percent of the American economy, of the gross GDP, that was his riches, that was the wealth that he had amassed. He came to a place in his life where they told him, they said, sir, uh, you, you're going to have to start uh, giving money away. You, you've earned so much money that you can't spend it all. And he said, well, you know, I'll give it away to a few people. They said, no, sir, you don't understand. If you don't start giving money away now, you'll never be able to give your money away. Uh, The time would fail you to give everything away that you have. And yet, in a few brief moments, John D. Rockefeller ended his life like every one of us does. Without his riches, without his status, without his political power, you see, his appointment came. He said, I'll give anything to someone that can add a year of life. To me, And no one could add that year of life to him. And at the end of his life, his riches meant nothing. I think this rich man was probably sort of the same way. And when death came for him, it was a final thing as it is for all of us. And as he lifted his eyes in hell, there's a few things that he sought to do. And I want us to notice them this evening. I want us to notice first off that the time for comfort and complacency was over when this man woke up in hell. You know, we live in a comfortable country. I I believe that, and I think you probably do too. Uh, When you look around at the way that most of the world lives and then you consider the way that we as Americans live, we live in a comfortable situation. Uh, probably anybody that walked to church tonight, you probably didn't have to walk to church tonight. There's probably not anyone in this room that's worried what they're going to eat uh, when they get up tomorrow. There's probably not anyone that's worried whether they're going to get medicine that they need or whether they're going to get the care that they need. We live in a comfortable country. and God bless it. I mean, that's wonderful. I, I'm not against comfort. I'm not against those things. But this was a man that trusted in his wealth and riches and his comfort to the detriment of his eternal soul. The Bible tells us this in verse uh, number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That, in other words, means that every day was like a feast to him. He lived on his own time. He made his own schedule. He did as he pleased. Uh, Set in juxtaposition and contrast to him is a man by the name of Lazarus, which was laid at his gate and full of sores. He was bankrupt. He was dying of the malady that he had. He had no one to care for him. And the dogs would come and lick his sores. And yet death, the great equalizer, finds them both in the same condition. For when this rich man in verse 23 uh, lifts his eyes in hell, he is bankrupt and all those of life's comforts have fled from him. The time for being at ease was over. The time for putting it off was done. Are you aware that time is something we're all running out of? Every one of us. Uh, Everybody in this room, when you woke up this morning, your life was one day shorter than it was the day before. I know that seems foolish to say, but let the impact of that soak into your mind. Time is ticking away. The grains of sand are dropping from the top to the bottom of the hourglass. And there will come a day when you and I meet God. And what condition will we meet Him in? We cannot avoid it. We cannot buy our way out of it. We cannot argue our way out of it. When we stand before a thrice holy, almighty, sovereign God of the universe, the only thing that's going to matter is what we did with Jesus Christ. The, the name that is attached to us, the letters at the end of our name, the size of our bank account, the prestige that we may have accrued, uh, the friends that we may have afforded ourselves through this life and drawn to ourselves will mean nothing as we stand before God. The only and singular question will be, what have you done with Christ? And what would that answer be tonight? If tonight was the night, what would that answer be for you? I know what it would be for me not because I'm a righteous person in and of myself, not because I'm a good person, not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm a churchgoer, not because I'm a Baptist, not because I've been baptized, but because on December 1st, 1997, I got on my knees, confessed myself a sinner, and asked Christ to forgive me and save me. And from that day on, my eternal destiny has been changed, not because of anything I've done, but because of what He did for me at Calvary. And so when I meet death, I know how I will meet death, not because of me, but because of him. This rich man had lived a life of comfort and complacency. I kind of imagine that as he walked by and saw Lazarus at the gate, he may have snickered. He may have thought to himself, boy, look where religion has got him. And yet he couldn't see the totality of the matter. Because the purple and fine linen that he robed himself in daily, the feast that he fared sumptuously on would burn up in a moment. And Lazarus would be in a far better standing than he was. You know, what you see before you is not the end of the matter. I know that society would have us to believe that if we can't smell it or touch it or feel it or see it, it doesn't exist, but that's just simply not so. There are all sorts of things that fall out of the realm of what the scientific method can perceive, philosophy and history, uh, anything that is uh, of an abstract sort or is of an existential sort, and things that exist, things uh, that are of the metaphysical nature that science acknowledges, though science cannot prove and science cannot pinpoint, and faith is no different. You ask me if faith exists, I can tell you faith exists. Look around this room and you'll see that faith exists. Uh, walk with me through the testimonies of those that were lost in sin's dark dungeon and delivered by the grace of God, those whose lives were but the breath from slipping away, and the grace of God rescued them, pulled them out of the miry clay and set their feet upon a solid rock and established their goings. I'm talking about people that had no earthly reason for their life to change, people that were ensnared in drugs and in alcohol and in illicit relationships, and yet in a moment the blessed grace of God dropped the chains of iniquity from their life and delivered them. Don't tell me that it's not real, if you need to tell yourself it's not real, then Tell yourself that. But don't tell me it's not real. I've seen too much to not think it's real. I've uh, felt too much to think it's not real. I've known too many people to believe it's not real. You can't tell me that heaven's not real. And if heaven's real, hell is real too. And when death comes, the time for comfort and complacency is over. I think probably the time for comfort and complacency was over for this man. When he woke up in hell, he was in torments. But I think the time for pleading and praying was over for this man. Look what it says in verse number 24. The Bible says, and he cried. Now, we know what that means. It means he prayed. He prayed. He pleaded with Abraham. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Can I just pause there for a moment and point this out? The very man that he disdained the most is the very one that he desired the most when he woke up in hell. Let me tell you something. Those folks that you think are so foolish, they might not look so foolish when you leave this world. Uh, the the preacher that you scoff at and snicker at and mock at and laugh at, he may not seem so foolish when you lift up your eyes in hell. The Bible teaches that he desired Lazarus. Why did he desire Lazarus? Because he knew Lazarus would have compassion. Because he knew Lazarus knew God. Because he knew Lazarus knew what truth was. And all of the comfort and complacency at fled away, and he said, where's Lazarus? Maybe Lazarus can help me. The Bible says in verse 25, But Abraham said, son, remember that in thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. You know what he's saying? He's saying, it'll do you no good to plea. It'll do you no good to pray. You know, this opportunity that we all have, once we die, uh, there's no prayer closets in hell. There's no pulpits in hell. There's no altars in hell. There's no preachers preaching the gospel in hell. This world is the only opportunity that you have. And when you leave this world, the time for pleading and praying is over. It'll do you no good. This man cried out. He said, surely Lazarus can help me. Surely, Abraham, you can send somebody. Surely there's somebody that could be a help to me. But it fell on deaf ears. Not because Abraham had no compassion, but because it was an impossibility. The time had run out. The clock had run out. You understand that the only means of salvation is by faith. The Bible says it's uh, by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. The only means of salvation is through faith. And when you leave this world and enter into a spiritual realm in which you operate no longer by faith but by sight, you can't call on the Lord at that point because we don't believe on Him by sight. We believe on Him by faith. So it's not a matter of a lack of compassion. It's not a matter of God being petty. It's not a matter of God feeling as though He's one, It's a matter of the fact that there is no means of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ when you leave this world. When this man left, there was no point in pleading. All he wanted was uh, 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 for Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool his tongue. Stop and think about that. Stop and think about what He's asking. He doesn't even ask to leave this place. He doesn't ask for the flames to stop. He doesn't ask for His comfort back. He doesn't ask for His riches. He doesn't ask. All He asks is for a drop of water. But Abraham says it's impossible. It's impossible. It cannot happen. Listen, that's true not only for those that might be under the sound of my voice in need of Christ, but that's true for our loved ones, those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to win them to Christ, we better win them now. Because when they leave this world, they cannot be won. We see that the time for pleading and praying was done. And finally, and I'm finished, I want you to notice that the time for warning and witnessing was done. Look what he says in verse 27. The Bible says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Some would look at that and assume that's a callous statement. But Abraham clarifies. The rich man says, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. You know, there's a lot of folks that say, I just wish God would show me something. Let me tell you something. God has shown you something. Through the precious Word of God, uh, there's enough truth in here to save me, and there's still enough truth in here to save you. This is all that you need. You say, well, it's not enough for me. Then you'll die without Christ because you'll get nothing other than this Bible. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And if the Word of God is not enough, then nothing will ever be enough for you. If God was to split heaven wide open and come riding forth in a chariot, it wouldn't be enough for you. If God was to speak audibly from heaven and call your name, that wouldn't be enough for you. If all those in the world were to turn at you in a moment and plead with you to turn, that wouldn't be enough for you. I'm saying that if the Word of God is not enough for you, then nothing is enough for you. He said, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know what this man longed for when he realized he wasn't going to leave this place? He longed for someone to be a witness to his family. He said, I'm here and I know I cannot leave here. But surely someone can tell my family. Surely someone can tell my brethren. Surely someone could tell my mother or my father. Surely someone could tell my child or my grandchild. Let me tell you something. The most sought after person in hell is a soul winner. Someone with the Word of God and the Gospel, but they're not found there. Only here can we be a witness. Let me tell you something. Some of you have loved ones that you've been praying for, and you've been praying for someone else to be a witness to them when God's waiting on you to be a witness to them. And you've been waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting and praying. And if you keep waiting, you're going to wait the clock out. Now's the time. Now's the opportunity. And if they leave this world, there is no more opportunity. Weep if you want to weep. Cry if you want to cry. Curse God if you want to curse God. But it will not change their eternal destiny. If you're here without Christ, you can shake your fist at God. You can be angry at Christians. You can be angry at the moral majority, but it will not change the truths of eternity. And it will not change that hell is real. And it will not change that Christ is the only answer. And when you leave this world, there's no more opportunity. And you don't know when you'll leave this world, just as I don't know when I'll leave this world. You say, what can I do about that, preacher? You can call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. He made some promises to you. The Bible says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Just as this man's eternal destiny was hell when he left this world, just as this man's eternal abode was hell, he's still there tonight. Those that have left this world in Christ are still present with the Lord. Lazarus is still present with the Lord even this night because the promises of God are sure. And just as he promised that any that come unto him he'll in no wise cast out, just as that was true the moment that he spoke it, it's true tonight. The Word of God is still true. The Gospel still powerful. Christ can still save even tonight. He can save you, He can save your loved ones. But the question is, will you come to Him? If you're saved tonight, will you come to Him and pray once again for your loved ones and ask God to give you the boldness to be the witness you need to be? If you're here without Christ, will you come to Him this evening and ask Christ to forgive you and save you? If you'll do that, He will, He will, He will, He will save you.